the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky thing, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to talk about water. That seems kind of unusual, being that the show is based in Flint, Michigan, but uh, here to talk about what's been going on and the risk that uh, Michigan's clean water faces from COVID-19 is the Environment Michigan's State Director, Nathan Murphy. Nathan, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Tom. It's good to be back. Um, Nathan, there's, I, I saw one of the movies that got made about the Flint water crisis over the weekend, mm-hmm. and, and so it's all kind of fresh in my mind. Um, what has happened around the state in the wake of that? I, you know, I see... Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, for example, uh, signing executive orders to insist that that Detroit and Flint and other water customers that are being turned off be turned on during the uh, pandemic because of the uh, increased um, uh, requirement to, to wash your hands more frequently and so on. And and the question is, is, is washing your hands in Flint or Detroit water... Uh, does that actually get them clean? Well, the, <laughs> the short answer is yes. Um, you know, it's it's the standard advice that we've been getting for months now, which is warm, soapy water, scrub your hands together, count to 20 while you do it. The, the soap is actually really good at killing the virus and sanitizing your hands so that, so that you're safe. Uh, you know, the problem is, as you kind of hinted at a minute ago, when people have their water shut off, that is, you know, it obviously makes it really hard to wash your hands, and it puts people at more risk for getting COVID-19 or passing that along. But then what does that do to, um, you know, city budgets? And uh, um, what's, what's the economic fallout from saying everybody's got to have water whether they can pay or not? Well, let's let's reframe that a bit and sure. start to ask why is the water so unaffordable? 
you know, you've got a lot of listeners in Flint, and I've given up on Flint. asking that question, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, I I lived in Flint. I still have a lot of friends there, and I just hear again and again how the water has gotten so expensive. And you know, it's it's not that people don't want to pay their water bill. It's that water's gotten so expensive to the point where it's unaffordable for too many people. And so I think rather than saying, what should we do about freeloaders or something like that, it's just not talking about the problem accurately. The question is, it's unaffordable. Why is it unaffordable? What can we do to make it affordable and accessible to people? And and how does that, how does that play out? If um, I, Are you suggesting that municipalities around the state um, have not been efficient and effective and able to deliver water for the the least possible cost? <laughs> well, I, the problem starts, I think, with the fact that we've underinvested in our water infrastructure for decades, just like our roads. Our roads are the visible infrastructure, and you know anyone can drive around Michigan and say, man, we need to fix our roads. The same thing is true of our municipal water systems. We've not invested enough to maintain them or even bring them up to sort of modern standards. And you, you said inefficient, and that's, that's an important point because when you're talking about a water system that leaks a third of the treated water just out underground, that's a lot of wasted water that people basically get billed for even though they never use it. And that was the so, case here in Flint for years. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and so it's, you know, when you have folks paying for that much more water that no one's even using, of course the water's going to be more expensive. So really we need to look much more seriously at reinvesting in our municipal drinking water structure, infrastructure, getting it up to speed, and, you know, that's a really important step in making water affordable for everyone. One of the things that came out during the uh, the Flint water crisis, Nathan, was that uh, the city of Lansing had been redoing their water infrastructure for about 12 years and had completely redone it. Why weren't other cities doing that, and why wasn't there more attention paid to Lansing as an example or a model to other cities around the state? You know, that's that's a great question. That's kind of the $20,000 question. Uh, Lansing showed a lot of foresight in doing that, but, you know, I think part of it is, especially in the last 20 years, Michigan's had a lot going on with, the loss of so many manufacturing jobs, the, the decrease in revenue sharing to cities and other municipalities from the state, really hampering budgets. Uh, you know, folks have been doing what they can just to kind of keep the police and other first responders going and things like that. People just assumed, yeah, those, there's those lead service lines, but they're, you know, they're safe. We haven't had a huge problem yet until Flint happened. Right. And and there were a lot of accusations uh, um, before, during, and since the uh, Flint water crisis that the city of Flint was uh, basically trying to stay afloat, balance its uh, books on the water fund. Wow, you know, I... <laughs> 
and I'm and I'm not I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Nathan. I'm saying <laughs> that those accusations were made, so it would be easy to imagine other cities borrowing from their water funds to make sure that they still had cops on the, you know, on patrol and and to make sure that uh, uh, trash was getting picked up and and other municipal services um, at the expense of maintenance and repair. Well, you know, I don't know whether other cities did that or not, but what I do know is just the lack of investment in our drinking water infrastructure has happened all over. And, you know, it's not just investing in the pipes that bring the water to you, but also in, you know, it's obvious we need to get the lead risk out of water. And that starts with removing those lead service lines because we still have over 400,000 in the state of Michigan. But it isn't just lead anymore. Now we're looking at PFAS. Yeah, so so I'm glad you brought that up. You know, as you said earlier, a lot's been happening on the waterfront, um, or I should say, the water issues. <laughs> um, PFAS is a huge issue in Michigan. We the we've done a lot more testing than any other state. If you go to the DEQ, oh, I'm sorry, the Department of Energy, Great Lakes, and the Environment which used to be called the DEQ, we now have 138 known PFAS sites around Michigan. Uh, PFAS, just to kind of fill your listeners in, is actually a family of chemicals. There may be around 5,000 different versions of PFAS. Some of them have been used very broadly in a wide range of, of industrial uses. Everything from, really everything from fire suppression to uh, uh, Teflon-coated... Uh, cooking pans and so on yep and it goes beyond that to fast food wrappers waterproof makeup um waterproof clothing waterproof carpets waterproof fabric on your sofas and we have just used several of these types of chemicals everywhere and what we now know is they really don't break down on any sort of human time scale and they're dangerous at really really small levels so in the spring of 2019, Governor Whitmer ordered the ordered Eagle to do some emergency rulemaking to set up some regulations for maximum amount maximum amounts allowed in drinking water for seven of the most common sort of worst offenders. And August 3rd, those went into effect, which is great. It's a great first step, but there's still a lot more to do. Don't state initiatives. Um very often rely on the fact that there's federal oversight and um, that the the federal government is requiring certain things be done by the states and and I'm reading that that's changing that that the feds are sort of backing off on that oversight responsibility so you're right historically in a lot of areas, the feds have kind of set a floor or at least some requirements for state regulatory agencies to keep track of. Uh, in the case of PFAS, we went ahead with stuff, and a number of other states are doing the same thing, like North Carolina, New Jersey, and so on, because the feds have not done a thing. They have a guidance at 70 parts per trillion. We know for a lot of types of PFAS, that's too high. It's not protective of our families. It's not protective of our, of our communities. And so, you know, we went ahead with our own rulemaking to protect Michiganders. Um, 
you know, the feds have been dragging their feet for years on this with, with their guidance. Who oversees water quality? In Michigan, it's the Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy that, that most folks remember being called the Department of Environmental Quality. So they, they keep track of drinking water in municipal systems. They keep track of the quality of our surface waters in a lot of ways. They're the ones that, that look into, you know, they're the ones that grant permits for things like um, companies to use like Nestle, Like Nestle's? Yes, that's right, like the Nestle one. Um, so it's, it's, it's Eagle. They're the ones that keep track of our, our water and our water quality. And is, is um, what about the pandemic poses any, any threat to, to water quality? It's, it's not really a waterborne disease. It's, it's not waterborne that we know of. I certainly haven't seen anything about it being waterborne. Um, however, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, if you don't have access to water, it becomes a health issue. And it's always been a health issue, but the pandemic has really brought that to the forefront uh, because we have way too many families without access to water so that it's very hard for them to just practice basic hygiene and protect themselves. And the curious uh, thing that I'm curious about is um, the things that I'm reading about the federal government backing away from its responsibility to monitor and, and oversee the states over the Clean Water Act. Is that actually yeah. happening, or is that political rhetoric? <laughs> Earlier this spring, um, the federal government finalized some rules that rolled back Clean Water Act protection for headland streams and wetlands, of which we have a lot in Michigan. We're blessed to have preserved quite a, quite a bit of our original wetlands and headland streams. Uh, and this is the most significant sort of rollback of Clean Water Act protections since the Clean Water Act was passed in the early 70s. And so it's not, just, it's not just rhetoric. You know, this is happening. The New York Times did an article about a month and a half ago that, where they listed 100 different types of regulations that the, federal, you know, the Trump administration has changed in ways that weaken them, that weaken the protection for our environment and weaken the protection for our families. Um, so it's, yeah, they're... They're stepping back because that's what the orders are to do from the boss. Well, and that's and and there's a political movement that this whole business of uh, draining the swamp and and so on um, it translates in everyday life to dere- deregulation and pulling back on those kinds of uh, oversights uh, because of um, uh, political. Uh, agendas or purely for financial reasons um nathan i have to take a break here can you stick around for a couple of minutes and we'll do another yeah, segment Tom. that's great yeah. nathan Mur- murphy is my guest he is from uh, he well he's the state director for environment michigan we'll be right back 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it.
TheTomSumnerProgram.com State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as uh, we continue with my conversation with the State Director of um, Environment Michigan. We have uh, Nathan Murphy with us by phone. Nathan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Yeah, my pleasure, Tom. Um just before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, the rolling back of regulations by the um, by the federal government, and and who really uh, you know is uh, is overseeing water quality, and what kind of risks water face from the uh, from the pandemic. But but and I want to get back to some of those things, but also for listeners who haven't uh, heard us before, um, I, I, I wanted to get. A sense of um, environment Michigan and what it is what its mission is is it you know a governmental agency a quasi governmental agency or an NGO what what is it exactly we are an NGO we are we're a nonprofit environmental advocacy organization uh, supported by thousands of Michiganders from around Michigan we're grassroots citizen-led advocacy organization, and we are pushing for clean water, clean air, renewable energy, and the green spaces that Michiganders love. And and what are the, the tools that you can use to do that? Just simply uh, advocacy, or is there a uh, full-blown lobby effort? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things we really specialize in is we get people informed, we get them engaged, and we help them speak out in the right place at the right time to really make a difference. So for example, earlier this spring, the Public Service Commission um, had an application from Enbridge, who owns Line 5, the oil pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac. And your listeners might know that they have a proposal to, to put a tunnel under the Straits of Mackinac and put the oil through that instead of the pipeline. And or or to run a pipeline through a secondary enclosure. And, and there have yeah. been some people who have even suggested running uh, power and communications uh, <laughs> cabling through that tunnel as well, which yeah. is a little controversial to say the least. Yeah, and I can tell you, when I talk to our members, they hate it. They hate that idea because they know it's too risky for the straits. And the Public Service Commission here in Michigan has some oversight authority over oil pipelines. And Enbridge basically petitioned them saying, this only counts as maintenance. You don't actually need to review this application. Just say, okay, and we'll get on our merry way. And I told our members, hey, you need to contact the Public Service Commission and tell them this is a lot more than maintenance. They're completely creating a new section of pipeline, and you guys need to take a really good look at this to make sure it's in Michigander's real interest. And, and maybe you can explain this to me, Nathan, because it's sure. never been completely clear to me. The idea of a secondary enclosure seems like a step in the right direction, but but yet there's I, I keep reading about things that make it sound like 
they're going to build this tunnel and then do a whole new pipeline through the tunnel rather than enclosing the existing tunnel. What happens to the existing tunnel if a new tunnel is built and, and enclosed, etc.? So currently, well, let's just kind of get down to brass tacks on what we're talking about here. Currently, there's two pipelines that are considered Line 5 that go under the Straits of Mackinac. Okay. And they're sitting, they're sitting on the, the lake bed surface there. And that's why recently they've been hit with an anchor that scraped off some of the protective coating and they've had other issues because there's currents and boats and things. The proposal is to replace that section of pipeline with an underground tunnel. So the pipeline goes through the Upper Peninsula. It would now go completely underground through this underground tunnel under the Straits and come back up in the Lower Peninsula and then go on its merry way to Ontario. So that's the actual proposed project. And at, at one level, yes, a tunnel is more protective than just pipelines sitting on the surface of the strait. A tunnel is not going to get struck by a ship anchor, for example. But in the meantime, we have this 60-plus-year-old pipeline operating in the straits that continues to prevent a risk, or per, um, that continues to be a risk while Enbridge works on putting a pipeline in. And even if we get the tunnel, there's still over 400 other water crossings that that pipeline has, putting all sorts of water at risk for an accident like we had with a different Enbridge pipeline in Kalamazoo a handful of years ago. And you know, finally, building new fossil fuel infrastructure doesn't make sense when we know we need to get serious to protect our, our livable climate. Now, the government, or the government, the governor... Uh, Gretchen Whitmer and the uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel uh, have both come out very strongly against the Enbridge uh, Line 5 project and the existing lines, saying that it should be shut down uh, immediately. But what I haven't heard from anybody is uh, an, an alternative way to move the the products that go through those pipelines? So that's a great question. And uh, last year, Governor Whitmer formed a blue ribbon panel to sort of look at what alternatives are there to, for example, supply the Upper Peninsula with propane, because a lot of folks in the UP heat their homes in the winter with propane. And they, they issued a report this last spring, and... <laughs> I, I've got to confess, I don't know the details of the answers off the top of my head, but there are alternatives. We don't need this pipeline. It just it's, it's far more risk to, to our waters and our communities than, than it provides in terms of economic benefit. When we talk about risk, because there's, there's always risk when you're moving you know, material that, that can be toxic uh, when it is spilled and so on, um, uh, which is worse, uh, uh, water contamination or ground contamination? Like, say, for example, <laughs> we have a, a, a truck spill on the highway or a big train, a big tanker train, you know, derails and there's a big spill. Um, which, which is the greater health risk? That is really going to depend on 
what the what the what the chemical is that we're concerned about because some of them move really good in the water and some of them don't some of them evaporate into the air some of them don't it's going to depend on the weather it's going to depend on where that leak occurs is it in the middle of nowhere or is it right next to a drinking water source I, I remember it was probably at least 10, maybe 20 years ago, that there was that um, that uh, offshore um, oil rig that uh, that failed down in the Gulf, and it was there. There was a pipeline that was pumping millions and millions of gallons of uh, oil into the Gulf, um, and after that was shut off and some cleanup efforts were mounted the area seems to be coming back a little bit or have i read that wrong it so actually as a coincidence it we just sort of quote celebrated the 10th anniversary of that happening uh and my my state of florida counterpart at environment florida did a lot of sort of hey this happened remember and you're right you know a fair amount of just kind of ecological resiliency has happened but we're still seeing problems from that um you know i i'm kind of neck deep in michigan stuff so i don't necessarily know the details of that but i i i know that there's there's there are still issues. With no, but I'm I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to suppose or imagine the long-term effect of a line uh, five failure. Ah, right. Well, and and does do does the the Great Lakes ecosystem have the resiliency to recover over time that we've that we're seeing to to a certain degree in the Gulf. Over time, yes, but what time scale, right? And in the meantime, you know, I'll just, folks can go online, some University of Michigan scientists did some research of what would happen if the pipeline at the bottom of the straits broke open and basically a worst case scenario, rough water, so they couldn't really get out there to do much with it in the winter, oil would spread all over the straits region and it would be a huge mess that would contaminate mile after mile of beach and shoreline. It would just crush those communities that rely on tourism uh, and just harm so much wildlife that it's, you know, it just really underscores how bad of an idea this pipeline is. And so even though you could sort of make this abstract argument that, well, in 100 years it would be fine, yeah, but when when someone in Charlevoix or Mackinac City doesn't have a job because there's no tourists, they're caring about right now. That's a long hundred years. That's right. <laughs> and I just pulled that number out of a hat. I, no, um, no, 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 that's fair. Um, but Go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say, you know, that's, that's why, yeah, we can talk about the resiliency of ecological systems, but uh, on what time scale, and in the meantime, what's the harm to our, our communities in our families? With the um, now, when we talk about clean water in in uh, Michigan's environment, uh, 
which is important to all people in Michigan because we love the outdoors, we love the water sports and uh, winter sports and, and all of that. Um, we've been talking about chemical problems, spilling oil, PFAS leaching into water systems. Mm -hmm. But I've been reading about and hearing about Asian carp in Lake Michigan. And what's curious to me is how wildlife can ever be a threat to the environment. Well, why? remember, the Asian carp aren't our native wildlife. Um, they're, they're from Asia. Uh, and we've seen this happen again and again when you get an introduced species, like the two species of Asian carp that we're really concerned with, you know, they get over here and they have no natural controls, you know, no, no parasites, no natural predators in some cases. If it's a plant, a lot of things can't eat it or it seeds, and they can just explode and take over an ecosystem because there's nothing to hold them in check like you get in a natural ecosystem. Um, How do they get introduced? That's a good question. So sometimes... Most people are familiar with the emerald ash borer. It's this beetle. It lays eggs in the bark of, of ash trees, and the little beetle larvae hatch out and eat the, the cambium layer of the ash tree and kill it. That was introduced on packing material from China. So China ships products here. They were unloaded probably in the port of Detroit, and the packing materials were set aside and some beetles hatched out and flew off and started laying eggs on our native ash trees. So packing materials and shipped goods is one major source. Uh, a wood product that's shipped in from overseas could be a source. Uh, in the case of, you know, sometimes the pet trade is a source. For example, the Everglades has real problems with exotic, huge exotic snakes eating things that they, that are endangered. Um, and, you know, finally, we've made some mistakes when we've introduced things intentionally. Grass carp, which is it's related to the Asian carp that we're concerned with, it's also a carp from Asia, by the way, uh, had been introduced to control aquatic vegetation in lakes and ponds. Um, the autumn olive, which is a, a bush that is colonizing old fields and can be a huge problem, that was introduced as a wildlife food source. And I think we're finally getting to the realization that we shouldn't be just introducing things because it seems like a good idea. Once those things get loose, a lot of times we find out it's not. Another, another thing that's, that's troubling and, and it sort of manifested itself uh, in a big way during the Flint water crisis was a lack of trust in uh, government officials and agency officials and, and the rest. Um, where can people go to get reliable information? Very often, you know, if they, if they try to go to uh, Eagle's website or some other government website, there might be really good information there, but, but people just don't trust it. Um, are yeah. there some, some independent resources that, that people can learn about clean water and, and other environmental issues? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think people people can be pretty skeptical of government, and certainly in the wake of Flint, folks have a good reason to, to be skeptical. You can a lot of times turn to research that's produced by scientists. Uh, you know, folks trust researchers from Wayne State or Michigan State or U of M a lot more than they do the government. Um, and I think there's a big push in those places to have the scientists actually present their results in plain English, which is great, so that people can can look at those results and understand them. But I think just you know trying to track down the scientists themselves is is one place people can start. Um, you know, I think there's still parts of the media that do a really pretty good job of of fair, accurate reporting. Um, a lot of people don't trust the media as much anymore, but I think a lot of the media is still worth our trust. And, you know, I, I have my own short list of science writers that I think do a really good job in, in covering a scientific issue, like uh, pollution or health effects of something. So, you know, I, it's understandable that people don't always trust the government, but I think, you know, there's, there are sources out there, and if people just take the time to poke around, you can find reliable sources. Does um, Environment Michigan have a website with articles and links and things that people can explore? Yeah, we do. Uh, it's environmentmichigan, one word, dot org. And we regularly post reports on, on the website. In fact, our most recent one is our Safe to Swim report, which looks at how often beaches in Michigan, but also around the country, are closed due to fecal contamination. Because uh, we still have problems with that. Are we, so having, find are we having problems with people crowding beaches as they, they try to, to get out from uh, having been on house arrest or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> in some areas, yes. Uh, you can, you know, I've seen in the news beaches that are just packed with people in ways that are probably not safe. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the beach at Lake Michigan, and my wife and I were the only two there, but it was also, the weather wasn't the nicest. Uh, so I think it just really depends if you're, if you're going to go to one of our really popular beaches on um, a Saturday afternoon when the weather's gorgeous, it's probably going to be packed. Because um, you're right, people are, are really getting out and using our green spaces and our shorelines as a result of being cooped up during this pandemic. Uh, a lot of states are, are noticing large increases in use, usage of their state parks and other state lands, and Michigan's no different. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning. It's always uh, always interesting to talk with you, and best of luck for Environment Michigan and, and all the work that you do. Hey, thank you so much, Tom. It's always a pleasure to be on. All right. Take care. Have a good one. That was uh, Nathan Murphy. He is the state director for Environment Michigan. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music>
Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One, two, three, four, five. Again now roll the boat ashore. Hallelujah. Michael roll the boat ashore. Keep it rolling. Hallelujah. Everybody hum. Wait a second, Dickie. Dick. We we hum it. I want to go back to the start and take it one more time from the top. Why? Michael roll the boat ashore. I'd just like everybody to join in this time. Okay, one more time. Okay. Right. Gang. In a world torn asunder by strife and by unhappiness, what sound in the world enters into our heart and brings love and brotherhood, but the sound of people's voices joining together and singing. So let's roof the rafters, people. Let's fill this room with the most joyous sound known to man. People. People singing. For in the ether of the air, in the great sky of, of, the, of the faraway land, Fill the sky, the musical sky, with voices intertwining themselves in a giant choral arrangement like colors in your mind and lines going up and down as the voices of people join together. So friends, let's fill this room with love. Let's fill this room with music and song. For people driving by, maybe outside, they'll be in their car and we'll be in here singing, they'll be driving by and, and as they drive by they'll probably say, what the hell's going on? Let's sing out now, friends. Michael, row the boat ashore. Sing out. Hallelujah. Michael, row the boat ashore. Hallelujah. Everybody. Wait a second, Dickie. That guy wasn't singing there. <laughs> Which guy? The, girl, the guy with the, the girl with the blonde hair. You the weren't singing that... very well there. Would you join in with us and fill it? You will? You will? You'll sing with us now, huh? Go ahead. <laughs> Here we go, gang. Michael Rowe, the boat ashore.
Michael, row that boat ashore. Come on, Mike. Everybody sing now. Trim those sails. Pull on those oars, baby. <laughs> hey, I know what let's do again. Now, what do you want to do? Every time we, we, we're humming, you want to do something different? Well, I have an idea that I like. Why don't we, gang, why don't... People with love in your hearts. Uh, let's already... all show our love. Let's all open. Let's start the hum. Go back to the. Take it from the top of the hum. Top of the hum. But this time, let's all hum with our mouths open. Well, but... well why do you want to do that? We'll get more volume. If well, we... why do you? We have plenty of volume. Why do you want more volume? So that Michael can hear us. Maybe even Ralph will hear us. <laughs> hear us also. So gang, let's all hum with our mouths open this time and get Tommy, a little more volume. That's a nice idea. Really, that's a great idea. But you so, cannot hum with your mouth open. Yes, you do. All you you don't to... ask anybody to hum with their mouth open. Yes, all you have you to do... You can't do that. You so old. Listen, if you tried to hum with your mouth open, you could hurt yourself. That's too bad. Yeah. So he is. I'll tell you what, if you want more volume, why don't you ask everybody to aw? Oh. I mean, not just a regular awe, but like this. Ah, 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 ah. See, it's louder, it's easy to do, and if you ask everybody in this entire room to awe together in unison to Michael, you will experience a thrilling, exciting, vibrant, it'll be a, a vibrant experience, tremendous. Let's all open up our hummers now and all awe together, okay? Everybody except you. You hum with your mouth open. <laughs> Hear that, Michael? <laughs> we'll help you trim those sails and roll that boat, won't we, gang? Everybody. Michael, row the boat ashore. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Joel By and the Blue Hawaiians wrapping things up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Before that, the Smothers Brothers in the comedy spotlight. And uh, let's see what's happening here. Okay, here it comes. Anyway, I uh, want to say thanks to all of the uh, guests on today's show, starting with Nathan Murphy this last hour, Environment Michigan's state director. Very interesting conversation in the middle hour with Jamie Holmes, author of 12 Seconds of Silence, how a team of inventors, tinkerers, and spies took down a Nazi superweapon, and uh, Martin Shamels talking about um, utopia in in work, love, and uh, learning. Anyway, we'll be back tomorrow at 9 o'clock for another edition of the Big Broadcast. Good night, everybody. The Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.